Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Death and Donuts. I'm your host, Seb James. It's been a while since the last episode, but thanks for sticking with the, <laughs> with the podcast. Perhaps you subscribed, and that's why you know that this episode is up. Anyway, I won't keep you too long with an intro, um, but this interview, I think it will blow some of your minds. Canadian psychologist, I think you know who I'm talking about. Yes, Jordan Peterson, that's right. He's been helping a lot of people. A lot of people come to know the Logos, and he maybe doesn't realize that. But And we're all on this journey to the Logos, and obviously this journey will continue even after time ceases. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? But Peterson is on his own journey. We're all at different stages, and Peterson is at his own stage, where at the most important stage, the most important juncture in, in the journey. And... He's at the stage where he's wondering, you know, whether the narrative world and the objective world collide. So here's Peterson talking about this moment. And C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well. The difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a there's a representation of there's a historical representation of his of of his existence as well. Now you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this, well, it does, but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth. And in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that. But I don't know. Okay. I don't. I'm amazed at my own belief, and I don't understand it. Like, because I've seen. Sometimes. The objective world. And the narrative world touch. You know that's Jungian synchronicity. Yeah. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real. Like, we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world. But the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that, in principle, is supposed to be Christ. Well, interestingly, my next guest, Dan Skinner, went on his own journey. uh, And Peterson was part of that. Uh, he was listening to the most, well, was once the most popular podcast. I don't know if it is anymore, the Joe Rogan Show. And Peterson was a guest on the podcast. And Peterson talked about things like atheism and nihilism. And that really struck Dan, who at the time, I think, considered himself a nihilist, thinking it was pretty cool to think that, yeah, everything's just meaningless and we all come from chaos. But um, I'll let Dan do the talking. Okay, and uh, he'll tell you about that, but he had to make uh, an important decision. He had that watershed moment as well that Peterson is experiencing. Interestingly, he went through that this moment before Peterson, which is fascinating. But anyway, I'll let Dan do the talking. Enjoy this episode. Thank you. It's empty in the valley of your heart. The sun rises slowly as you walk. Away from all the fears and all the faults you left behind. Dan, thanks for joining me on Death and Donuts. Um, usually we start with the very beginning, your childhood, and 
and can you explain who you are and where you come from and a bit about your family and your upbringing? Thanks for having me on your program. So I'm Daniel Skinner, I'm 23, I'm studying philosophy at Notre Dame and well I was, maybe I'll cut to the end briefly. Okay. Uh, So I was just baptised into the Catholic Church on the 29th of September last year, but obviously there's a a long journey to that point. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... So a bit about your childhood. Yeah, childhood. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a great childhood in the Blue Mountains. I still live in the Blue Mountains. Same household. Um, beautiful family. Uh, Mum and dad weren't religious, so I didn't have a religious upbringing at all, really. My, my only family member who was, was uh, my grandma in Wagga and my grandfather in Wagga. Dad grew up Catholic, but he, he lost the faith, kind of faded out in his university days, and mum wasn't brought up religious. But, um, yeah, great childhood. My closest friend was uh, Simon, who was he's a Protestant. And so I did go to Boys Brigade. Oh, yeah. That was probably okay. my earliest um, encounter uh, with Christianity. Yeah. But I do remember going to Scripture. You know, you'd, you'd play games, you'd eat. And you'd go to scripture, and it was, I have to say that the scripture was probably the most uh, boring. <laughs> I, didn't really, yeah. I didn't really understand why we were reading these books. Because um, I don't think it was ever really explained. Yeah, right. Anyway, so that's probably my earliest encounter. But, you know, my friendship with Simon, because he was, you know, Christian through and through, and his mm. family was, that was really um, formative, yeah, I think. Okay. A great kind of moral habitat we had mm. um him and i we're really close did you go to the same school yeah yeah so springwood public um okay yeah we we're best friends for most of that time that's great yeah and other than your parents of you did you have any other influence and simon did you have any other influences in your life at that time like growing up was it an older brother or you had siblings right a yeah. few siblings yeah my older brother ben so um, yeah, we'd, we'd play sport together. It was a, we'd, uh, obviously, you know, um, yeah, we had a good relationship mm-hmm. and it was very sporty upbringing. Yeah, right. yeah. So rugby league, Aussie rules, uh, skateboarding, you know, all these activities. So yeah, that was kind of, I had my friendship with Simon, which wasn't sporty, but with, with Ben and, um, all my other friends, it was just full of sport, you know. At lunchtime, recess, you'd go out and just get all sweaty and <laughs> exhaust yourself. Did you watch sport as well, or was it more just playing sport? Not so much watching, no. Ben was always into that, but no, I was just into playing. You're not a Penny Panthers supporter? I think I went, the most games I've been to are Penrith oh, games, yeah. and it was exciting, but nah, I have to say. Yeah. So then, uh, out of your childhood, did you f- have any interaction with uh, evil? Did you have any experiences of evil that you recall going maybe, obviously childhood's a very innocent time, but maybe into your teenage years? Or did you have some encounters with real goodness that you can recall? Mm. Very little evil, nothing 
comes to mind which is a blessing mm. uh, yeah very pure upbringing actually mm. um, yeah so mainly mainly influenced by the goodness of others yeah um, obviously mum and dad are very good people and yeah. even though they're not practicing they're they're certainly informed by the Judeo-Christian yeah. ethic obviously and uh, yeah the morals I learned from mum and dad have kept me in good stead yeah do they ever specifically say this these are some guiding principles that you should live by or do they ever try and talk to you on a personal level about ethics or anything like that yeah yeah um maybe not maybe not ethics as such but maybe life lessons you know treat others i guess both were guided by the golden rule you know treat others as you'd like to be treated Mm. Um, I was just talking to mum this morning something that she learned from her father who wasn't religious was don't lower yourself to other people's standards so if you're seeing bad behaviour in another person and you're treated badly don't react out of impulse just as badly because then you're lowering yourself Mm. so that it was that kind of um, maybe that temperance Mm. around others was kind of inculcated that's great so it sounds like you had a, a very good upbringing and a happy upbringing. Um, so what made you, What would you, if you can recall, what was the first thing that made you think, okay, life's pretty good, but maybe there's something more? Or... Mm. Well, it was really when I was, I'd say 15. So up until, pretty much up until that point, I hadn't read any... I guess you'd call deep books. Mm. <laughs> it was mostly just uh, teen fiction, which isn't always that wholesome. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was always just sport, always just really active, mm. not contemplative at all, really. Mm. Um, until I reached 15, and maybe it was like the onset of puberty. <laughs> like I started getting maybe angsty or existential at least. Yeah. Um, and I... I just started reading the classics. And what spurred that on, I don't know. I remember just picking up Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain off the bookshelf. It was just at home and loved it. And then I started looking into it more. And obviously, there's just this whole world of classic literature. Um, so I just started reading more and more, you know, Catcher in the Rye. Oh, love that. Um, That's such a great book. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Especially because if you read it as a teenager, it sort of you can mm. connect some to some way to the character. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually partly inspired my um, interest in, I guess, spirituality. Mm. But um, that was later because before before that stage, I went through a serious athe- you know, atheistic, positively atheistic, um, I guess, anti-theistic stage. Do you remember the influence? Do you remember the influence behind that? It was primarily YouTube. You know, <laughs> I I don't know how I got onto him, but Christopher Hitchens, I started listening to some of his um, talks on YouTube, and he's a great orator. And to, and obviously he uses a lot of emotional speech, um, some reasoning, but <laughs> often it's rhetoric that is really quite attractive to uh, a teenager right because you're um 
I guess at that age, you're wanting to, you're wanting to partake in a battle of sorts mm-hmm. and something to fight for. And so, yeah, I, I kind of picked up the atheist sword and was ready to fight. And I, I was also listening to Richard Dawkins and all the new atheists, really. Mm, yeah. I was kind of um, convinced by scientism, the fact that, you know, well, science explains everything. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it, it, what followed on from that was this nihilism uh just thinking oh well if we're just if we're just the product of billions of years of mutation then how can you really say there's meaning to life Mm -hmm. if there is it has to be constructed Mm -hmm. and so obviously that's no ground for um for solid (laughs) morality yeah absolutely um So then you started tapping into YouTube in your teen years and watching Hitchens and Dawkins, etc. And then I guess, did you feel, start feeling sort of certain negative emotions towards religious people or religion in general? Yeah, I was really derisive, just as they were. I was, I thought religion was ridiculous. I thought it was... um, no fairy tales that mm. maybe had some sort of social value at the time or was necessary to um maybe i thought it was a god of the gaps right so mm. all these stories of the old testament we didn't know we didn't have the scientific knowledge of the true cause and effects and so we just posited these religious ideas um to kind of fill the gap but then science kind of filled that, has filled the gap. So there's no need of Christianity. There's no need of religion. Mm. It's obsolete. But yeah, you know, I'd, I'd try to engage my friend Simon. Um, yeah, so growing up, I was really, you know, I was totally fine with religion. I didn't think twice about it. And obviously it was, it was great growing up, yeah. his influence. But then, yeah, I really started to wanted to engage in these debates. And um, some of my other friends were really keen, you know, to engage with uh with religious people and we even went to a conference with uh john lennox simon invited me to this conference and um i remember i was taking notes but obviously i was only taking notes of rebuttals i had (laughs) and who am i this what 16 17 year old that's great ignoramus um (laughs) thinks that he, he could go up there and you know fight back against John Lennox but um at least you had the uh, intellectual honesty as a teenager or the desire to go and listen to John Lennox I think that speaks volumes of who you are as a person but anyway that's that, that's great though that you went yeah um, even though you were like oh, I want to take this guy down yeah yeah <laughs> um, but I think no I was you know I was open and I I remember picking up a bible actually mm-hmm. from that conference and just tr- asking questions, you know, of the of the people there, and um, maybe questions about, you know, the flood, uh, Adam and Eve. Mm. So I was genuinely interested. Mm. Um, that was when you ten, like sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, this is more of seventeen, okay. maybe going into eighteen. Yeah, sixteen, seventeen were the years where I really took on atheism. But then, and that was actually, I think, supported by high school right no teacher was religious from uh from what i know and 
well, I was really influenced by my English teacher, uh, Extension English, and we were we studied uh, after the bomb topic after the bomb, which was all about existentialism, really, this nihilism that followed from uh, World War Two and the, the 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 Cold War. It was quite bleak, like reading Waiting for Godot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with Samuel Beckett. And that, I really imbibed that. Mm. I was like, yeah, gee, there isn't much meaning to life. What are we waiting for? Uh, so what did you put your... Where did you... <laughs> like, once you got to that point, what did you go, okay, well, what am I going to do with my life? What was in going through your head? <laughs> At that point, oh, man, I mean, it was a... It was pretty anxious reaching the end of high school because I just didn't know where I was going I didn't have much direction whatsoever I knew I was interested in in drama and um, in English Mm -hmm. but I didn't know if I was going to make a career of it and that's the thing with high school and probably the most challenging thing was um, I always just played out this my my life um, in my head, it's like, okay, I'm going to go to university, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to have a family, I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to die. And I'd play this out quite a bit for each, you know, each possible career choice. It always ended in death, so it was always, <laughs> it was always rather kind of bleak. So maybe that inspired me to just, I don't know, uh, just experience as many things as possible. Um, and that probably inspired uh, my want to travel. Okay. So then, uh, off the out of school, you came out as an atheist tinged with a bit of nihilism, mm. and your end or goal was to to have as many experiences as possible, because ultimately that was what yeah where you would find happiness. Yeah. yeah. Would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was yearning for that that's something that would just kind of fill the hole yeah um did you think you would find that overseas or did you think when you would return you would have filled that hole sort of thing well i think maybe i was influenced by siddhartha and maybe the eastern spirituality i thought that i'd go overseas and come back you know the the cliche find yourself Mm. um but after i then traveled for what three years on and off Every time I hadn't found myself. Um, What made you open to the Eastern spirituality, though, if you were an atheist? Well, that's the interesting thing, because I was... (laughs) I totally rejected Western spirituality, obviously. But I think something about Eastern spirituality, and you hear a lot of people say that, oh, I don't like religion, but if I could choose, I'd be a Buddhist, because... um, because it's a philosophy, not a religion. Yeah, I see. Um, and so maybe I just kind of thought, yeah, Buddhism seems cool. It's mindfulness. It's it's a it's a genuine reaction against you know the the noise of society and uh, yeah. Uh, you know, trying trying to maybe attain transcendence. Yeah. To an extent, so that was attractive and. Um, but yeah, but then I went to India. Wow. So hang on. So out of school, where was the first place you went? India. 
India. Yeah, yeah. And but you were more interested in out of the Eastern spiritualities, Buddhism. But what made you go to India then? Is there? I mean, there's well, obviously Buddhism there as well. Yeah. Um. Well, my brother was there. Oh, okay. He was he was doing uh, an internship in Mumbai, so I actually went over there, um, thinking that I'd just travel with him for a month and then come home. Um. Anyway, so I went over there and then we ended up traveling around and it was just an amazing time. Such a crazy place, shocking in many ways, but just so exciting. All these new experiences, Mm -hmm. the amount of curries I ate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of colors and flavors. It was very exciting Yeah. and confronting as well. Um, What was confronting? Well, I went over there quite naive probably thinking the best of people and um i remember i was quite smiley when i first got there i'd <laughs> i'd just walk around the, the streets just exploring and i just smile at people because you'd get a few stares but then i realized if i smile at certain people they start following me mm. thinking that my smile is actually an invitation to who knows what yeah. and that actually happened uh, a few times so i kind of put on i realized i had to put up a shield mm. and so that was um that was quite a learning curve wow. uh, and I kind of had that shield up for most of my travels um, in India and Southeast Asia which was later okay so did you um, in terms of your inner ex- and, and your inner journey was that influenced at all by India what was happening within you as a person yeah I think I was opening up to um, spiritual okay. at least maybe not organized religion mm-hmm. but yeah I think talking to people okay. um, I remember loving these comments because India just attracts these these searches um, so a lot of you know when we hang out in hostels we just had these really deep conversations about you know what's your passion what what moves you what what do you want what do you want from life and i love those conversations and um i think that my atheism that ardent kind of rigid atheism was kind of was um falling away cuz i lack of exposure to the voices of hitchens and whatnot and so yeah i was opening up to spirituality and you know i varanasi this place in north uh northeastern India you know you'd walk down to the the ghats where they'd burn their relatives who had just died and you'd see these charred bodies that were burning and um, all these spiritual practices these yogis on the river people wash brushing their teeth swimming in the the Ganges which is full of rubbish and cows bathing it was just like quite an experience yeah but um Maybe I thought, mm, there's some, there's something to this, even though it was very odd. <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. I mean, you, you're ex- you're being uh, you're being exposed to humanity at a different a different level, or I guess, yeah. in, a, in a different way that you had experienced previously. Which, you know, humanity is so mysterious, but you know, there's so much going on, isn't there? So maybe that was sort of. A step in in towards like a, 
I don't know, the human spirit or something? Yeah. Maybe just the human condition, you know, exposed yeah. to death, yeah. exposed to the suffering mm. of people. You know, all mm. the, the amount of beggars in the cities and... Mm. Um, yeah, so maybe it's like, you know, the... Uh, the Buddhist, the Buddhist teaching, or what is it? The, um, you know, Siddhartha. He was kind of, he wasn't exposed to aging, sickness, death, uh, and there's one other one I forget. But I was kind of exposed to that maybe on my India trip. Yeah. Right. Um, so then, after India, what was next? Was there? Did you go back to Australia and then and then head off somewhere else? Yeah. So I came back to Australia. Worked for a while just as a barista or a waiter and I was in a, in a theater production so I was I still had acting kind mm. of as a as a a goal I guess yeah I always had in the back of my mind that I could go into acting so I was I was dabbling with theater okay were you um exploring any other things to satisfy your desire for happiness like fleeting pleasures or anything like women or um, relationships uh, or, or drugs or alcohol were you trying to use any of that stuff as a way to some people use it to cope with the lack of happiness that that inner um, sadness or loneliness or whatever it is um, and others just think well that's the only form of happiness that I know of was that a thing for you or were you more interested in that whole concept of experiences overseas or intellectual stimulations where I'm going to find happiness yeah I think no I, I never really fell into that okay. even in my teenage years I think it's a blessing obviously mm. you can see the hand of providence there mm. that I really um, avoided filling that hole with with alcohol or drugs or mm. or girls mm. that really um, no that wasn't a part of it but I, I do remember coming back feeling really empty. Um, yeah. Um, after India. After India. Yeah. I think because I'd had su- I'd met such great people and it was so exciting and it seemed so banal being home, yeah. and I guess reality, you know, strikes and think, what do I do now? If I'm not going to travel on and off for the rest of my life. Do I want to settle down? Do I want to go to uni? All this angst, you know, mm. around direction. And I had no kind of comprehensive worldview through which to see everything. It was all very... Um, uh, fractured, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, so what... Okay, so before you went on to your next trip, were you trying to find answers still <laughs> to your inner emptiness on YouTube for example or where were you looking for answers at that point well I think I, I was reading throughout this whole time reading this and that not really following any particular threads but I think yeah actually after I got back from India I was just on YouTube I was listening to Joe Rogan oh, yeah. um, you know he's one of the top podcasters and uh he happened to have this guest on, this psychology professor from Canada, Jordan Peterson, who's obviously huge now. Um, oh, but man, yeah, that was after India. I, 
I remember I was vacuuming the house with the podcast in and Jordan Peterson started talking about nihilism and really offering these two options. Like you can be a nihilist, you can decide that life has no meaning or you can decide that life is full of meaning and that every action you make changes the course of the future. It changes reality in a way. Um, And he said outright, to choose nihilism is cowardice. Sure, you can be a martyr. It's like, yeah, life is meaningless. I'm just going to wallow in this um, nihilism. But it's cowardice. And that kind of jolted me out of it. And he was such a compelling speaker that he really convinced me. I was obviously yearning for that. And maybe I was just waiting for the right voice, the right articulation of the idea that we have responsibility over our lives. And even if there isn't actually objectively meaning, we must create it for ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, that, that kind of uh, made me realize that, okay, this guy's obviously, whatever has informed him, I want to be informed by that as well. And so he has this book list that he has on the internet of, you know, must read books. And so I started reading those like, uh, uh, the Gulag Archipelago. Oh wow. You read that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, the abridged version. Yeah. It's, um, shocking. Mm. And I guess that, that kind of, uh, kind of opened my eyes to politics and I'd always been liberal obviously left-leaning maybe even socialist you know Mm. Uh, but I guess I became more and more and maybe these the spectrums are a bit outdated obviously but Mm. conservative I guess so more traditionally minded I started to understand why (laughs) you know why there are certain structures in society, why they're important. And um, as Chesterton says, don't tear down a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place. And, yeah. you know, growing up, angsty teenager, I was pulling down fences, and as you do, um, social justice um, fighting. And I didn't know why the fences were put up in the first place. Mm. And obviously, the most foundational part of that fence is Christianity. Mm-hmm. The West is completely informed by Christianity. And that's what uh, Jordan Peterson really taught me. Mm-hmm. And his biblical lectures were the first time I'd ever heard the Christian narrative um, articulated with such, in such a compelling way. Mm-hmm. I thought, these aren't just mere stories. Th- these aren't kind of attempts to describe uh, scientific reality it's like there's more to life than just matter yeah. there's this there's this mer- metaphorical significance to all of the stories um, obviously he presents those talks as the psych- psychological significance of the Old Testament stories mm. and they um, I was convinced that these are meaningful stories yeah, right. and Christ even if he, you know, even if he didn't exist or he didn't rise from the dead, 
he is a he he's the archetypical man yeah, right. um, okay. whom we should emulate absolutely wow yeah and i he pointed me on to all the movies that i'd loved growing up and how christ was there like the the suffering uh, the, the redemptive power of suffering bringing good out of evil the hero's journey you know that's all to do with those grand narratives and i was i was i became obsessed with that sort of uh those ideas i started reading carl jung which i've now stopped (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh yeah so that was definitely a deepening of my understanding of the i guess the religious tradition of the west and it really spoke to me more than any of the experiences i had in the east Mm. hinduism just seemed so strange to me mythological i couldn't possibly believe the stories about all the pantheistic gods Mm. buddhism didn't didn't answer my uh my questions i don't think It, it wasn't intellectual enough it um it seems like it hadn't reasoned through all the all the problems that I had mm. but I soon found that um, Christianity was seemed to be the most reasonable mm. so that was a real shift I mean five years ago I was just throwing rocks at it <laughs> and now I was um, really appreciating it did that cause um, fear, insight fear inside you like a bit of a uh oh what's going on here I'm starting to fall in love or I'm starting to feel an intellectual attraction to the thing that I've been throwing rocks at (laughs) Um, I don't think there was much fear in there Um, no it was actually just kind of liberating it it felt right it felt like something was falling into place Mm. Um, obviously I, I didn't even consider the possibility of having a personal relationship with God because at this point I still thought of it all as metaphorical right okay. you believe in Christianity because it will put your life in order and it puts society in order uh, so it was more pragmatic yeah um, so yeah but I think I guess there was there was a real readjustment I had to make in terms of well if there's meaning to life I have to kind of change accordingly but to be honest I didn't really I was still quite hedonistic yeah um, pursuing pleasure and I moved to Wollongong Mm. and that's where I guess you know I started going to clubs and um, you know (laughs) making out with girls on the dance floor and, and enjoying that and probably seeking more and man you know I was saved, I guess, because during that time, I started listening to Bishop Barron. So wait, hang on. So after India, you discovered Peterson. Peterson, yeah. And then you went... Did you do any more travels before you moved to Wollongong? Yeah, so actually... Oh, yeah, I've I've really jumped ahead. I went to Southeast Asia for five months. Wow, that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, so that was, I guess, more of the same experience really meeting a whole host of people going to all these new places um obviously very very spiritual over there mostly buddhist um oh man have you been to cambodia in Wat? 
No, I've been only to Indonesia and uh, where else? Anyway, I haven't been to Cambodia. My sister lived there for a year, though. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that that's an amazing place. Like, um, going to Bagan in Burma, there's pretty much a temple every... <laughs> every 20 meters, there's a new temple. You look over the landscape, it's scattered with all these temples. And... Um, there was something yeah I realised there was something to that obviously after Burma you had been listening to more Jordan Peterson and he'd obviously been having his influence so you came back and then you moved to Wollongong no I I came back and worked again and then I went to Europe for six months (laughs) (laughs) right Um, and by that point I was you know I'd listened to not only Jordan Peterson but bit of Ben Shapiro and yeah. even started listening to the like economic into economics and yeah. realized and, you know at that point this is less spiritual but you're know, going down the libertarian side of things yeah. um, but anyway so what made you go to Europe was that just again just more experiences trying to find yourself yeah more experiences and I'd I'd made some good friends in India um, and they lived in England, and so I really felt like I wanted to go and see them before that, you know, the friendship completely faded. Mm-hmm. So that was an impetus to go to Europe. And so, yeah, I went to Europe, I went to England, Scotland, Ireland, wow. um, Spain, Italy, Germany. Wow. And I was there for six months. And, uh, yeah, again, it was kind of a mixture of, of searching for that, for that, uh, something but also just wanting to enjoy myself mm. see new places really like i was drawn to novelty new places new experiences new people mm. new pleasures um but throughout this i hadn't really fallen into you know, a debauched yeah. life really um you felt you had control over the you know the fleeting pleasures um the things of the flesh so to speak yeah 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 that's good and and so after that experience you came back to Australia did you feel empty again when you got back oh how did I feel um maybe not as empty because I think I'd really actually um satisfied my wanderlust okay I was a bit tired of traveling mm-hmm. and I by this point it took me a while I realized that the meaning of life isn't found on the road and you know that that great Apollo Coelho book, The Alchemist, right? He the treasure that he was looking for was right next to his house, and I I was kind of I realised that I guess yeah. so I had to be satisfied with life in Australia. I couldn't keep travelling, mm-hmm. and so yeah. And then I thought, what am I interested in? Well, I'm interested in psychology, <laughs> so I'll study psychology in Wollongong. And so I got up and moved to Wollongong and started that. Started that life. So what was that like? And did you complete the course? And was it like three years or <laughs> an entire six weeks, <laughs> just yeah. before the uh, census cutoff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, tell us about that. Um, what happened? Well. I was interested in what I was learning, but it was a bit dry. 
mm-hmm. I realized that what I was most interested in was the philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, psychology is a mix of, well, I guess, empirical science, mm-hmm. brain, chemistry, all that stuff, but also beliefs and meanings, uh, the meaning that people bring to their lives or find. Mm-hmm. I was more interested in that. I was more interested, the, interested in the, the philosophy that was... Mm-hmm. Um, guided certain psychologists and I realized that yeah I'm not a scientist Mm. and I never was and so I realized it wasn't the course for me Um, but whilst I was in Wollongong that's yeah that's when I I guess the university lifestyle um, kicked in a bit and I had some good housemates and you know got into surfing but also clubbing yeah so pursuing that and you know i was desiring desiring you know deeper pleasures and Mm. uh deeper pleasures sorry do you mean deeper pleasures in the in the physical sense pursuing pursuing girls yeah okay going to the clubs and it was exciting you know going to a club and uh, having this sensual experience with (laughs) really these strangers but obviously (laughs) when you're intoxicate that that's not a factor but um i was really enjoying that but i knew ultimately that it didn't leave me fulfilled i remember even coming home from one night (laughs) out of the clubs and getting on my laptop and writing about the emptiness i felt i still have that document um wow so even though i enjoyed it i knew it wasn't right Mm. yet i wanted to kind of you know really go go all the way mm. I guess and um, did you think that maybe the emptiness was coming because you weren't getting enough satisfaction in the in those pleasures like um, that you had to try and increase the let's call it the dopamine effect I guess yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I never actually kind of uh, I, I never slept with anyone over mm-hmm. there, which was actually a saving grace, I yeah, think, because that would have, you know, maybe I would have um, become beholden to a girl for the wrong reasons, yeah. right? I would have been with her for the physical side of things. Yeah. And I was probably willing to do that at that time. And I wanted that. And so the fact that <laughs> I actually left Wollongong before I was able to to find that was a grace like mm. the fact that I wanted it mm. um, and was quite close you know mm. this, this one girl okay anyway but yeah during Wollongong I was <laughs> I was like Jekyll and Hyde right at night time <laughs> go to nightclubs uh, be all debaucherous and then during the daytime I was reading you know The Brothers Karamazov <laughs> by Dostoevsky and even going to mass wow the first Catholic Mass I ever went to was in Wollongong Cathedral and um, I really enjoyed it I there was incense there were bells the bishop was in his full regalia and I thought this is attractive this is um, something transcendent here it's beautiful the reading I I remember enjoying the homily was good Uh, you know, shamefully, I, I received communion. Obviously, I didn't realize that that was, yeah. that was not right. Yeah. But I, I, obviously, I wasn't um, informed of yeah. the faith that yeah. much. Mm. 
Um, but anyway, that was a that was interesting because that planted a seed, mm. um, and that seed was there's something to Catholicism. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then you left Wollongong because you realized, okay, I'm not a scientist. I'm more of a philosopher. Mm. Came back to the Blue Mountains and then you... um, What happened after that point? Well, I was actually pursuing acting. The main reason why I left Wollongong wasn't for philosophy. uh, And it wasn't because I was tired with the lifestyle there. It was because I wanted to pursue acting and I didn't want to do that from Wollongong. And so I came home and started auditioning for all these student films just to get a showreel, to maybe get an agent, to maybe get a show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> my outlook. Yeah. And obviously, that <laughs> one of those auditions was at Notre Dame oh, for okay. a student film, and that's where I met you. Yeah, so that's we can come back now to that point where uh, I was finishing work at the ABC, I'm pretty sure, and I went down to pray there. And then you were there, the skateboard, and I thought, oh, he looks pretty suave. He's like probably trying to meet a girl or something. Um, um, yeah. um, and then that's right. We spoke about what was your interest in Catholicism, and I remember you said that you had listened a bit to Bishop Robert Barron. So what happened there um, between Peterson, Wollongong, and doing that audition. When did Baron come into the picture and how did that happen? So Baron was, um, actually Baron, I started listening to him in Wollongong. And so maybe that's what attracted me to the church there. Mm. Um, but really in between, yeah, Peterson and when I met you at the church, I had really just <laughs> binged Baron, <laughs> binged Bishop Baron. Uh, he, so he he was the bridge for me to from the meta the metaphor to the literal. Wow. He he spoke about how Christ is no mere metaphor. He's not simply an he is an archetype, but he's the true archetype. Yeah. Um and I remember one talk just kind of blew my mind that's when things fell into place when he was talking about happiness uh, he has this talk at Google uh, yeah. and it's it's all about the pursuit of happiness and how we all seek happiness in different things in pleasure power wealth and honor and I realized that I could identify with each one of those really particularly pleasure and of course it wasn't satisfying and he actually provided a Thomist, you know, explanation why. Wow. He used the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas to explain that all these pleasures are good, if used correctly, but they're ultimately meant to uh, direct you toward that highest good, which is beatitudo. It's that fulfilled, constant happiness that you cannot lose. And then he obviously, at the end of his talk, presented the, the object of that happiness as God. And the great Augustine line, you know, our hearts were made by you, Lord, and our hearts will be restless until they rest in thee. And that struck me. It's like, huh, that sounds right. 
nothing satisfied me. I haven't found myself. I've traveled so much. I've uh, experienced these pleasures. Maybe there's something to this. And obviously that kind of started my intellectual, real kind of deeper intellectual journey into Catholicism. And I just loved the, the, the reasonable aspect of it. You know, going through the seven, seven deadly sins and the seven lively virtues, that just like, wow, that's a blueprint to life. Mm. Avoid sin, be virtuous. Um, I realized that, you know, lust is a real sin. Mm. And the reason why I was feeling empty is because it was sinful. Mm. And the, the plus side is that there's chastity and there's great fruits that come with that. So that was really important because obviously in Wollongong or before then, I'd, you know, I was watching pornography and, mm. um, and struggling in that regard. Mm. And so I knew it was wrong then. And I, but <laughs> I, I had an articulated reason why. Mm. And that was provided by the Catholic faith. Mm. You know, we're made for God. You know, this sexuality is actually meant to draw us to that highest good yeah. um so yeah in before i came to sydney yeah um well actually no i so then i went home and then i actually went to a protestant church nearby oh. and i had a chat with um the minister and i ended up having quite a few coffees with him and um i even went to one of the events which was explaining catholicism oh wow <laughs> tell us about that that'd be interesting so Obviously, I loved Bishop Barron at this point, and then I went to this explaining Catholicism, and uh, the minister pretty much presented it as obviously they, they thought it was false. And um, I don't know if he even said evil, but obviously misled. Mm. Catholics are misguided. Um, Catholics, you know, evangelicals are biblical, right? All their doctrines they source from the Bible but the way this minister presented it was all the doctrines of the Catholic faith are sourced from the councils oh. he so he present a doctrine of Protestantism he he'd provide a Bible quote he's like ah mm. oh, well that that seems reasonable mm. he'd present a doctrine of Catholicism he'd provide a Council of Trent quote <laughs> as if the as if the Council of Trent wasn't informed by anything but their own um, uh, their own their own opinions, opinions yeah. yeah. Whereas obviously, yeah. all the councils are so deeply informed by not only scripture but the tradition that has always yeah. been informed by scripture. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, fathers, yeah. yeah, the church fathers, yeah. the whole tradition. And so, to be honest, when I came home from that, I was a bit, I was a bit convinced because I still wasn't very principled. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay. But then when I kept reading, I kept reading, kept listening to Bishop Barron, I was convinced that that was such a... That was... um. It was almost... I don't want to say devious or... It was unfair, totally yeah. unfair, that representation of Catholicism. Yeah. And I was... Con- at that point I thought, huh, no... Catholic faith is so informed by scripture yeah. um, that I, I was pretty well convinced that if Christianity is true, the Catholic Church 
is the church. Mm. And um, wow. And obviously, f- for many other reasons, the fact that well, there has to be one church. It can't be divided. Yeah. If there are, if there are differences in doctrine, that's really important. Like, mm. that's no small matter. It's, you can't just have one church pronouncing this and one the other. Yeah. That's not the body of Christ. Yeah. And so I thought, well, the Catholic Church was founded by Christ. It must be the one. Yeah. And because they're so reasonable, right? Yeah, yeah. Every single question I had was answered. Yeah. Um, but you can probably realize that I haven't actually talked much about faith or prayer yeah, yeah, yeah. or relationship. Yeah, so what? Um, so you came to. That sounds like it was your own intellectual reasoning that you were able to distinguish between Protestantism and Catholicism and the re- reasonableness of Catholicism. Um, and also just looking at history and where was the church actually, where did it begin and who began the church and where is that church today, which you know, history sh- shows us that the Roman Catholic Church is the one that Christ started through the um, through the obviously appointing those apostles, but um, what? Yeah, so this is the hard part, really, <laughs> for for many people. Is okay. I've got more respect now for Catholicism. I've got more respect for you know the institution and what it's done. Um, uh, what was the thing that made you go further and and? Oh, I guess you mentioned that Baron had shown you that Christ obviously wasn't a metaphor, but, um, you know, just a, an archetype, but he was the true archetype. So was that the thing that you began to pursue? Was like, okay, well, what does that mean for me then? Well, I forgot to mention that I read um, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, okay. which was all about the historical evidence mm. of Christ, his, um, uh, the scripture and his resurrection uh, it was death and his resurrection. And that really pulled me over the line in terms of Christ lived, mm. he died, and the evidence suggests, um, you know, the evidence being the empty tomb, mm. the conversion of Jerusalem, mm. the, the turnaround of St. Paul, mm. who was persecuting the Christians, the, um, the willingness of early Christians to go to their death mm. for this Christ you know this, this supposed God man that was like I couldn't get around that so mm. it's like there's something to this I think I believe this mm. but obviously it was all still quite distant and intellectual mm. and um, and so I obviously realized that well if I'm going to fulfill this journey, I have to be baptized, because at this point I wasn't. Mm. Um, so I enrolled at Notre Dame University, wow. uh, and I wasn't Christian at this point. I was still searching, but I knew that the university was um, informed by the Catholic tradition, and I was actually really I like the idea that they have the Logos program. Mm. And I know that Jordan Peterson talks a lot about the Logos. Yeah. And I know Christ is the Logos. Yeah. thought, okay, well, this is going to be better than any kind of um, more social justice-leaning, uh, um, postmodern universities mm. that I'd heard about. Mm. 
So, yep, I enrolled there and I, I met a great bunch of people who are my close friends now mm-hmm. at chaplaincy. And um, I thought, well, let's start RCIA. Yeah. What's the RCIA? So it's the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. Yeah. It's, the, it's the process um, which takes you from, I guess non-baptized to baptize you know it it culminates in your baptism okay um and so yeah i for a year i think it was about a year wow or maybe a bit less i was doing the rcaa program with andrea okay um from chaplaincy and throughout that time i was obviously growing in the faith Uh, i had some theology classes which were brilliant but Probably the most important thing was my Catholic friends. Mm. My my friends were, you know, devout Catholics. Yeah. And still are. Mm. And they are such beautiful people. I was I was so welcomed. You know, yeah, right. instant friends. Yeah. Um, and obviously they were kind of attracted. They were kind of surprised. Well, there's this, there's this previous atheist who now is searching for. Yeah. Who wants to be baptized? Is quite I guess. You don't come across that every day. Yeah, absolutely. So they were really excited. Um, That's great. And then so you felt welcomed, you had a community, and you were learning more about Catholicism now. But then there's the problem of faith. Mm. <laughs> so how did you confront that? So faith um, for our audience is obviously the it's a, it's a virtue. It's actually given by, by God. But we have to be willing to accept that. Um, how did you get to a point where you could accept faith and and with that um, love of God ultimately, which is relation with God? Mm. Well, before I could um, kind of come to that personal faith and that encounter, um, I'd obviously I, I I should mention that I was. I read a lot of C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, um, Dostoevsky. All those, all those great minds made me realize that um, they were all informed by faith, right? And uh, like C.S. Lewis in particular, like, he is faith-filled, and I love that, and I'd like that too. I read his Surprised by Joy, his autobiography, and I thought, I want to be where... He was. I want to be at the point where he accepted God into his life. And so, I guess, yeah, I started praying. As I guess all beginner prayers are, God, if you exist, um, you know, whatever I prayed for. Mm. Uh, maybe show me a sign, all those things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an opening up to the reality that there's someone at the end of the line. Mm-hmm. Like God can somehow hear your prayers and answer them. And so maybe I was, you know, proposing all these things to him and asking him for things and um I didn't I don't remember ever asking him for something and it was directly answered, but obviously I realized that whenever I was praying and I was living a life of faith and not and not sinning not not um, being lustful as I was still struggling with. Mm. Life was working. 
I was integrated. I was happy. Mm. So long, and prayer was kind of the the element that was keeping me um, uh, on the straight and narrow, I guess. Mm. Okay. And um, but do you remember a point in which you thought, okay, I have faith in God, and I have faith in His relationship. Or was it more of a just a, a, a gradual thing in growth? It was all very gradual. It was mm. very subtle. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of habituating myself to the new. Yeah. Not only um, like new thoughts that I had to have, the new worldview had completely turned around, and that was quite an adjustment. So it was all still quite intellectual. Mm. And... Um, but what helped was going to mass, even though I felt embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. No, I felt embarrassed being there and uh, standing up and kneeling. You know, it was Thomas Merton talks about this in his conversion. It's quite embarrassing when you're first starting because you almost feel like you're betraying your team. Oh. Like I'm betraying my atheism. Um, but obviously, that's part of the will, right? It goes from intellect to to movements of the will, where I start going to mass and, and um, realizing the fruits of it, and praying more. And so it was really it was like a two weeks before baptism, it was it was approaching, and I thought I need to really think about my relationship with Christ, and that's when Andrea. Um, from chaplaincy she actually invited me to a silent retreat and so I went on this three day silent retreat just by myself uh, I had spiritual guidance from a Carmelite priest Yeah. and that was where I just spent a lot of time in silence in front of the tabernacle and realised huh this I've been so consumed by the intellectual pursuit there's something to this relationship and it may sound surprising because this is what two weeks out from baptism yeah. but it really kind of struck me at that moment that you can yeah like chat to Christ yeah um and that was that kind of made me yeah that made me realize that it was the right thing I was doing being baptized that's great and um but yeah obviously it's actually that element the the relationship with God that um that is probably that which must grow yeah and that um really I've read enough books obviously yeah but now it's a matter of growing in that and that's what that's my journey from here yeah. on in I guess yeah absolutely yeah do you do you know how to grow in that have you thought a bit about what it will take to grow in your relationship with God yeah, well, obviously prayer. Yeah. Prayer is that encounter. Yeah. Um, and discipline, you know. Yeah. Uh, getting in the habit. You know, they say, I think Father Sam said that, six weeks it takes to form a habit. Yeah. I should really pray the rosary every day for six weeks and, you know, I'm habituated to that constant conversation yeah. with God. And so, yeah, and I'm look, I'm blessed to have devout friends who we keep each other kind of um upright and yeah. uh you know we go to mass and yeah and chaplaincy is brilliant 
Yeah. And Notre Dame is great in that it it does have a you know, there is that culture of um faith there. Yeah. And so what do you think makes it difficult for people to go on the journey that you did? Like people that you know, why haven't they gone on that same journey? Um I think part of it would be attachments to lifestyle. Mm. And that's what was my greatest struggle is to okay, um I have to change my lifestyle uh, and it takes some sacrifice but also it's you know certain it depends on who you are a lot of people are still scientific mm. thinking that um, religion is obsolete science answers all the questions mm. um, some people I guess are really despise organized religion and you know all the all the news you hear about the catholic church seems to be negative mm. the abuse crisis um the conflict even within catholicism mm. uh all those things may push people away mm. and um yeah i think maybe there's so much noise mm. Like C.S. Lewis talks about the kingdom of noise. <laughs> Even all reading the news, being exposed to the news, social media. I feel like if we all take, and I need to obviously do this. I mean, I'm, I'm on YouTube way too much. <laughs> you know, I need to step back from all that entertainment, that constant stimulation, and really become existential. Mm. And existential crises are good mm. because it reveals that there is a hole that needs to be filled. Mm. And I'm so um, grateful that I actually went through that, mm. you know, when I was 16, 17. Mm. But really that you have to fill the hole with the right, right stuff. <laughs> the right stuff. And <laughs> ultimately, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. That's great. Is there, is there anything else you wanted to mention um, that we haven't spoken about? Yeah. But maybe I'll just go through some books that were really influential yeah, yeah that would be good um oh yeah the case for christ for the historical evidence yeah uh bishop Barron's catholicism great intro mm-hmm. uh dostoevsky shows that you know without god anything goes yeah. and that is a terrible terrible thing yeah. as he demonstrates um uh c.s lewis surprised by joy mere christianity um, G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy that's like probably my favourite book just really? amazing yeah um, but anyway you can probably look up all those the great Catholic books but also yeah, but it's good to know what you what helped you yeah and they're all very like, influential and if it wasn't for those books and those those YouTube videos um, William Lane Craig even though he's Protestant provides great philosophical uh, reasoning for Christianity uh, reasonable faith is his channel but yeah Bishop Barron Father Mike Schmitz Ascension Presents Matt Frad they're all really solid channels that kind of keep you going sometimes yeah. and um, Catholic Answers like that's an amazing program yeah. and website any, any question you have about um, the Catholic faith has been answered and that's the beautiful thing about tradition right yeah. like ah uh, there's so much there there's so much there 
All right. Well, I think uh, I think we'll wrap it up. But Dan, thank you so much for coming on Death and Donuts. It's uh, been an absolute joy, and everyone's journey is actually unique. That's the thing you don't realize is. Um, I think it was Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, Emeritus Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. He said, uh, "There are as many vocations as there are people, and vocation being, I guess, a journey. You know, journey to to God, as Augustine pointed out, that idea of our hearts being restless until they rest in Him. I think everyone has that within them, obviously. Um, so it was great to hear your journey." Um, but at the same time, there are many things that I think people can take from that, uh, from your story. And it's just, it's also just a great um, booster, moral, morale booster to hear of a young man in the Blue Mountains of Sydney who, without any real, you know, upbringing in a particular strand of Christianity or, or brand, sorry, is probably the better way of putting it, um, was able to, with his own faculties, find the truth and and to form a relationship with his creator the one that loves him most so thanks dan for sharing and uh i look forward to seeing um what people have to say to me because people always come and tell me oh that was really good and they like this and that uh, i look forward to hearing their feedback thanks for having me sir because i have other things to fill my time you take what is yours and I'll take mine Now let me at the truth which will refresh my broken mind So tie me to a place